Hey, we're, uh, if you have your Bibles or it's um, on version, also, uh, we're going to be in Matthew 5, um, and I'll talk about that a little bit since we're jumping off here, um, get settled here. It's really good to see you all. Always super glad to jump back into the semester and to be able to to be together. Um, I think I say this every break, but Christmas break, I always feel like, and and I know it's different because you have to come back to class, (laughs) but for for me as a staff member, it's always like a couple weeks in, I'm like kind of ready for people to be back around and get going on things again. So it's always, it's good. And uh, I've been hearing some cool stuff about just the first week of school for you all, so that's good. Um, so over the course of this semester on Sundays, um, we're going to be looking at this uh, the series, Ways of the Kingdom. And uh, what that is, is, you know, you probably have heard of like the Sermon on the Mount, like that statement. Anyone, is that familiar, Very, fairly, fairly familiar? Um, so Matthew 5 through 7, um, those chapters are typically called the Sermon on the Mount. And it's this time where there's this like really, um, really just like Jesus sits down and he's teaching his disciples and the crowd. And it's just like really pretty um, in-depth teaching about the kingdom, um, about like what, what his kingdom is going to look like, what the kingdom that's being ushered in is going to look like as the, as the people of God. And, uh, you know, some of the, maybe get in the weeds a little bit, Matthew is so much about, like, the kingdom. Um, if you, you know, go to, like, Bible Gateway or something like that, just search kingdom, you know, and, and check out, like, the New Testament times of, of talking, uh, there, there's, like, 50-ish kingdom statements that are made in Matthew, and then it like, you know, it's like Mark, Luke, John, they each have like six, you know, kind of thing. There's definitely like a, a viewpoint of the kingdom that, um, you know, as Matthew's talking and sharing these things that Jesus spoke into. So when we, when we study Matthew, that's one of the lenses that we look through. It's like, what, what's, what's, what's Jesus saying about the kingdom? Like, what's being focused on here? Um, yeah. The other one is just like the fact that, well, I'm going to wait on that because it's the main point today. Um, so the Sermon on the Mount, collections from, teach, uh, from, from Jesus of teachings where he passes to us the ways of the kingdom and what his people really are supposed to, to act and speak and think like. Um, and it's, it's a really important uh, section for us to understand. And, and I think the the weight even of like what Jesus is doing here is sometimes lost on us. It's been lost on me plenty of times when I read through. Um, but, but we have this like, you know, I, I want to like put ourselves in the position of uh, like a Jewish person at this time, um, thinking about uh, a guy who goes up onto a higher elevation and then brings a teaching to the people about what the people of God are supposed to look like. I'm trying to be real vague, but also, does that sound familiar at all? Anybody want to want to take a guess about what that what they could be thinking about? Okay, Moses in Exodus goes up on the mountain and comes back down, sharing the words of God with the people. We have the Ten Commandments. We have these other laws that come out of that, right? 
like Moses in that moment as the, as the nation of Israel is being brought together goes up, God speaks to him, and he's this mouthpiece to the people about what it's supposed to look like. And in turn, we have this other, other thing going on here in the New Testament with Jesus goes up on the hill, the mountain, and brings this teaching to the people, speaking the words of God. God spoke through Moses, his servant, and now he's speaking through Jesus, his son. Um, and it's a really pretty weighty thing when we think about like us as followers of Christ. Like, what are we doing? What, are, what, is our, what do our lives look like? Like, are we lining up? And Jesus talks a lot about motivation. Um, but we're going to see that as we go in. Um, next week, he hits real hard um, about like kind of a, an overview of everything, but then we get into these more specific things over the course of the semester. Um, the kingdom is rooted in the mercy of God, and it's rooted in our great need for him. And that, that's something I want to hold on to as we go through this whole semester is where that is rooted. The mercy of God and our great need for his grace. Um, when, I, when I look back at, at like my initial surrender to Jesus, um, when, I, when I realized I needed him, you know, confessed my sin, was baptized into him, um, I look back at that, and I don't know that I would have been able to put the words necessarily to it then as, as a young person, you know, but um, something I've been able to put in words now is that the, the thing that really held me back um, for whatever reason from following Jesus, I grew up in the church, um, but it was one of those like, uh, like I'll, I don't need to, like there, there was a sense of like, I'm fine. Um, and, and really what it was is there was a spiritual pride, even as a kid, you know, which is like hard to believe. Like I think about my daughter is almost 11, you know, and it's like thinking about her having a spiritual pride is kind of weird to think about. But it's possible to be in that position where it's like, well, I'm a good kid, so I'm fine, right? You know, kind of thing. And I, and I look back and I realize that that's something that I dealt with um, as a child even. That thing that held me back was from the decision to follow Jesus, from the understanding of my need was that spiritual pride. And um, with that good kid syndrome. But I heard the gospel, you know, on a weekly basis but kind of hand-waved it as, well, this isn't really for me because I'm a good kid who did what it was expected and I know all the Bible stories and blah, 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 you know, kind of thing. It was the breaking down of that misconception that finally is what brought me about to that surrender in Jesus um, and brought about this understanding of my not-enoughness. Like, I am not enough. Um, I needed Jesus and I finally knew it. And as I'm walking through today, we're going we're gonna to look at the first 12 verses of Matthew 5. Um, it's probably, there's a good chance it says the Beatitudes. You know, that's maybe something you've heard about. We see posters on the wall and people quote it and, and all these things, these blessed R's. Um, that's what we're going to look at today. Um, and as we do, I, I want to say like, and I, I want to say this really humbly. I don't want to come off as whatever. I've heard this taught, I think, very many times from the wrong viewpoint. I've taught it from the wrong viewpoint. I have read it from the wrong viewpoint. And um, I think that's something we need to get uh, a hold of as we read this today and study it. Um, I'm going to speak into that a bit, but, but I wonder if, 
if some of that is actually latent spiritual pride in us, the way that we read it sometimes and the way that we have heard it taught. Um, Matthew's focus here is on the kingdom as he pins his gospel, and Jesus makes it clear throughout that the kingdom is available. The kingdom is available for those who would come to him for rescue. Um, So let's read this together. Matthew 5, uh, verses 1 through 12. Now when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and after he sat down, his disciples came to him, and he opened his mouth and he began to teach them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the gentle, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they will receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. Blessed are those who have been persecuted for the sake of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward in heaven is great, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Uh, Let's pray as we dig into this. Um, uh, Jesus, uh, we love you. We praise you. Um, I pray that the the prayers of praise that we brought to you um, just now, Lord, um, would be true in our lives. These things about like, here I give my everything, surrendered, um, Lord, that we would, we would live that out, that our surrender would be, would be true, um, and that you would work in us um, in the things that maybe don't match up with that, Lord, that you would refine us, um, that we'd come to you with, with open hearts, wanting to not just kind of do a uh, like check off our religious box for the week, but, but to like truly live in you. Um, so help us to follow you. Help us to do your will in our lives. Um, and I just pray over this time, Lord, that, that you would give us understanding that your spirit would move within our hearts and minds. I'm just guiding and teaching and um, comforting even in these places. Um, as we look at, at the Beatitudes here, uh, Jesus, as we look at your words, thank you for them. Thank you for teaching us. Thank you for pointing out what the kingdom looks like. And thank you that we have this ability to to dig into it and to consider it. Um, we love you, Lord, and we thank you for your mercy. Amen. Um, Jesus is looking at the crowds. He's got this huge crowd around him. And he goes up on the mountain, he draws everybody close, he gets his disciples together, um, and he starts this teaching. Again, the whole semester, we're looking at him sitting down with this group of people, the crowd's hearing it, his disciples are hearing it. Um, and, but I, I want us to picture this, to put us into that place, like 
thousands possibly of people milling around, smelly, dirty, dusty, hot. And Jesus is looking out over this crowd of, you know, whoever, fishermen and Pharisees and, um, you know, carpenters and farmers and shepherds and rich people and poor people and some lepers in the back that everybody's trying to get away from. And like all, all these all these people are milling around. Jesus brings his disciples in and he starts saying these things. Blessed are. Um, he starts teaching about what, what the author um, Dallas Willard pins as like the availability of the kingdom. I'm going to quote from Dallas a couple times today. Um, the availability of the kingdom, um, whether in the world at that time or our world today, um, there are types of people who are not typically looked at as strong or able or um, powerful, right? Like that's kind of a, a thing that we struggle with is like kind of pushing people to the margins sometimes. There are people in our world that are pushed to the margins, um, whether we do that or not. From a worldly standpoint, they feel weak or uncomfortable or maybe even distasteful at times. Um, but we need to get used to Jesus flipping things upside down as we go through this Sermon on the Mount series, as we go through this Ways of the Kingdom, because the kingdom is actually quite upside down as we look at it from what the world would say. Um, because this Sermon on the Mount is him totally upending things over and over and over and raising the bar and flipping it around. And it's pretty counter to what these people would have expected from a rabbi teaching. And I think it's still counter to a lot of things that we consider. Um, the kingdom is available, but it's also upside down. Um, later in Matthew 19.30, this isn't part of the Sermon on the Mount, but continuing what Matthew is sharing, Jesus encapsulates this whole, encapsulates this whole thing when he says, many who are first will be last in the last first. And the disciples are like, what? You know, <laughs> like, it's, it's like, what? Like, are you talking about? Um, he tells these parables about, like, all these, you know, people who, who go to work at, you know, seven in the morning and they work all day and they get paid as the same person who went to work at four o'clock and ended at five. And they're like, what are you talking about? And he's like, the last, many of the last, many of the first are going to be last and the last first. Um, much of the rest of this, like, Sermon on the Mount um, is like corrective and it is prescriptive, like it's things that we should take and be like, okay, Jesus calls us to do this, so we need to do it, right? Like a lot of the Sermon on the Mount is that, but the thing I want to um, really hit hard today is that is not what the Beatitudes are, and that's, the, I think, the misconception that we've hit a lot of times. Now, are there things that in the Beatitudes that we should strive for like being peacemakers? I think so. I think peacemakers are good. I think standing up for Jesus, regardless of persecution, is probably a good thing. Like, that seems like a call we have. Um, and, you know, there, there's other, being gentle and these things like that. But Jesus is not getting at prescriptive commands in the Beatitudes here. He's actually telling us what the kingdom looks like and he's talking about the availability of an openness of the kingdom. Um, we're going to get into that more. Um, Dallas Willard, 
he starts this, Jesus starts us off by telling us who is welcome in the kingdom before he gets into this is what the kingdom looks like as our lives lived out. So Dallas Willard, this is a book, uh, Divine Conspiracy. It's thick and deep, but I highly recommend this, um, even if you're not a reader. And uh, he, he really breaks down some good things. But uh, I'm going to read from him several times and should have marked my pages. Um, but he says this. No one is actually being told that they are better off for being poor or for mourning or for being persecuted and so on, or that the conditions listed are recommended ways to the well-being before God or man. Nor are the Beatitudes indications of who will be on top, quote, after the revolution. They are explanations and illustrations drawn from the immediate setting. He's looking out over all these people and seeing this, of the present availability of the kingdom through personal relationship to Jesus. They single out cases that provide proof that in him, the rule of God from heaven truly is available in life circumstances that are beyond all human hope. Say, I want to read that again. The rule of God from the heavens truly is available in life circumstances that are beyond all human hope. He goes on to say, the Beatitudes simply cannot be good news if they are understood as a set of how-tos for achieving blessedness. They would then only amount to a new legalism. They would not serve to throw open the kingdom, anything but. They would impose a new brand of Phariseeism, a new way of closing the door, as well as some very gratifying new possibilities for the human engineering of righteousness. So what Willard's getting at here is that, like if Jesus is saying, if you want to be blessed, then you should make yourself poor in spirit. If you want to be blessed, then you need to be mourning. If you want to be blessed, and I've heard it taught like that, but that is not what Jesus is getting at, because again, that's just another way of earning the blessedness of God. What he's saying is, man, there is a ragtag band of people all around me, and they are welcome. They are welcome in the kingdom because of what I'm going to do. Um, and we, we, need to, we need to come at that with that. So um, before Jesus starts teaching us the kingdom motivations and actions that we're going to see the rest of the semester, he makes it clear that the kingdom is at hand and that all the people are invited to step into it and surrender to him. Not just the spiritually elite, um, not just the Pharisees or the leaders or the people who have read a lot and can rattle off Bible verses. Like, it's not, it's not that. It's everyone is welcome to step into this, this kingdom and the surrender into him. Um, English gets a little awkward in the translation, but the idea when we read these like, blessed are, blessed are, blessed are, it's more along the lines, and there's some Psalms that read like this, but it's like Jesus is looking around and he's like, oh, how blessed are the poor in spirit because the kingdom's going to be theirs. Oh, how blessed are those that mourn. Oh, how blessed. There's these like kind of exclamations of, oh, how blessed are these people, even though this looks like a crazy multitude. It looks like a crazy mob. They are blessed because the kingdom of heaven is welcoming them in. The beauty of this is that, that Jesus is using the present tense, and he isn't saying because. The, the blessings of grace that Jesus is offering because of the availability of the kingdom um, in availability of the kingdom is now and in the future, um, not just off in the future. 
Like, he's not just giving blessings for, like, one day this will be a thing, but it's now. This is available. And we haven't earned them by being poor enough in spirit or making enough peace. Jesus calls out these categories of people as blessed because God meets us in our deep need and inability with his rich grace and mercy and love. Um, William Barclay uh, paraphrased these statements in his commentary, and I, I want to read these for you all now. Um, so just to take that for just a second here. Um, paraphrasing. And by paraphrasing, I mean actually putting more words, so whatever that means. Um, he says things like this. Oh, the bliss of the one that's realized their own utter helplessness and who has put their whole trust in God. For thus alone they can render to God that perfect obedience which will make them a citizen of the kingdom of heaven. Oh, the bliss of the one whose heart is broken for the world's suffering and for their own sin. For out of their sorrow they will find the joy of God. Oh, the bliss of the one who's always angry at the right time and never angry at the wrong time who has every instinct and impulse and passion under control because they themselves are God-controlled, who have the humility to realize their own ignorance and their own weakness, for such a person is royalty among men. Oh, the bliss of the one who longs for total righteousness as a starving man longs for food and a man perishing of thirst longs for water, for that one will be truly satisfied. Or the bliss of the one who gets right inside other people until they can see with their eyes, think with their thoughts, feel with their feelings. For they who do do that will find that others do the same for them and will know that 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 is what God in Christ Jesus has done. Or the bliss of the one whose motives are absolutely pure, for that one will someday be able to see God. Oh, the bliss of those who produce right relationships between man and man, for they are doing a godlike work. That's all of them. What does this mean for us? Um, there's two, maybe three prongs to what I think, where I think this goes. Um, the first is this: the, the kingdom of heaven is yours. Like, it's available. It's welcoming. Jesus is welcoming you into this, us into this. It's available. Um, We should never feel like, man, I'm just too whatever for Jesus. Like, does Jesus want to change us and mature us and, you know, use big words, sanctify us? Yes. He wants to make us holy. He wants to make us more like him. But, that's not the key to walking through the door. He is the key to walking through the door. Jesus is that grace, that, that, that door. Um, the kingdom of heaven is yours. Jesus stands with open arms saying, are you broken? Are you needy? Are you beat down? Are you meek? Are you trying to keep peace in a chaotic world in spite of everything? Come on in. Are you mourning? Come on in. Come on in. Follow me and you become citizens of this kingdom. Um, He's calling out to each one of us with that statement from Matthew 11, 28. Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Like That's his call to us. 
Jesus is saying, even if you have no religious credibility, though you might be ignorant of the scriptures, though you may feel spiritually defunct, my kingdom is tailor-made for you. Come on in. Um, These nine verses are, are a beautiful picture of the availability and the accessibility of the kingdom for every person, regardless of you know, again, looking at the crowd, socioeconomic background, religious upbringing, life circumstances, personality quirks, or internal hangups. Like, none of those things matter as Jesus welcomes us in. The kingdom of heaven has been brought near by the Son of God, and he throws open the door. The other part of this, the other side of this, is, you know, if we're already in that place where it's like, I'm following Christ, um, and we've stepped into that upside-down kingdom, then we need to have our eyes opened to those around us and be thinking with that same lens, which is tough. It's very tough. It's hard to get, it's, e- it's easy to get caught up in our own life and get blinded to the people around us. It's easy to not like people. I'm just going to say that. I'm an introvert. It's easy to not like people. <laughs> you know, um, it's easy to be annoyed. It's easy to be like, oh, those people. It's easy to get haughty even. Um, but we got to look at what Jesus is doing here for following him. Be like, man, the kingdom is, I can't hold a door closed when Jesus is throwing it open. So we need to welcome people in to the surrender in Jesus. Welcome them in to his love and grace. Um, if we're followers of Jesus and we have to extend the same grace that Jesus does to every person that we come in contact with, the kingdom of God is open for those that would follow Jesus and we're his hands on earth to extend that invitation. Um, a small statement from Jesus in Matthew 10, 8, always just like kind of burns in me freely. You've received now freely give like that's a pretty, pretty strong, small statement, but it's one we should hold on to. Um, now, I'm not sure where this fits in the midst of these things, but I think it does. And it's something that start, has been like kind of weighing on me a little bit. Um, I know that, uh, right, back up, the problem of perception that Jesus is correcting here is that like, God desires all people to come to him, but there is a situation that Jesus is sitting in culturally where there was like the religious elite and then there were the other people. You know, there were the clean and there were the unclean, right? Um, And Jesus is kind of breaking down a lot of those walls. The masses had been shunted to the margins when it came to spirituality, when it came to faith in God. And Jesus brings the hammer down in Matthew 23, um, there's these like eight woes. I don't know if any of you like realize these like woes. What do you scribes and Pharisees? Like he is just outright going after these people, you know, like correcting. He wants them to change. It's not just a slam, but he's like, whoa, because these things have been bad. And you can, you can read that in Matthew 23. But one of the things he says is, woe to you scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, because you shut the kingdom of heaven in front of people for you do not enter it yourselves, nor do you allow those who are entering to go in. So I just like think about that. Like the people who are supposed to be the spiritually elite at the time 
actually shutting the door on other people who want to come to God. And Jesus is like, that, there's a problem there, massive problem. This wasn't just a problem then, though. I think the problem can happen now. And, and something I just want to say, like, if you have felt in that place, like, from anywhere, I, I am so sorry for that. Like, if you, if you have been at a point where you're like, I want to get near to God, and someone has, has kind of shut that down, or um, brought some trauma in that way, spiritually. Um, if you've ever been treated like the kingdom wasn't available to you, like Jesus wasn't meeting you with open arms because of the way that you were treated, um, or that the grace of God wasn't big enough for you. Um, and like, God forbid that that's a thing that's happened here or from me. If it has, I'm so sorry. Like, I really hope that that's not been the case um, because the kingdom of God is available and open. Um, so I just want to reiterate that. Um, the kingdom of heaven is at hand and available through Jesus. Um, one more thing from Dallas Willard here. Divine conspiracy. We've already indicated the key to understanding the Beatitudes. They serve to clarify Jesus' fundamental message, the free availability of God's rule and righteousness to all humanity through reliance upon Jesus himself, the person now loose in the world among us. They do this simply by taking those who, from the human point of view, are regarded as most hopeless most beyond all possibility of God's blessing or even interest, and exhibiting them as enjoying God's touch and abundant provision from the heavens. This fact of God's care and provision proves to all that no human condition excludes blessedness. No human condition excludes blessedness. That God may come to any person with his care and deliverance. God does sometimes help those who cannot, God does sometimes help those who cannot or perhaps just do not help themselves. So much for another well-known generalization. The religious system of his day left the multitudes out, but Jesus welcomed them all into his kingdom. Anyone could come as well as any other. They still can. That is the gospel of the Beatitudes. Let's pray. Um, Jesus, thank you for breaking down so many walls. Um, thank you for extending your grace and your kingdom to the ends of the world because we wouldn't be here if it hadn't happened. Um, thank you that it's never about merit. Um, even though sometimes we want it to be. Uh, thank you that um, 
it's, it's just totally about your grace. And uh, I, I'm so thankful that you looked out over this crowd and explained to your disciples that, um, that everyone was welcome to step into your grace. Everyone was welcome to um, surrender to you and let you be their righteousness. Um, so we praise you for that. Um, and I, I just pray that, you know, you meet us where we are today. Um, if we are in a place where we're not sure about you, haven't, haven't moved into that, um, that place of following you, Jesus, I just pray that you would, you would meet us there. Um, help us to understand that uh, you love us deeply and uh, um, you just want us to be with you. Um, if we have made that decision, Lord, I just pray that we would interact with the world uh, the way that you did, that we would interact with people the way that you did, that we would see people as, as people that you love and desire and that we would never throw up roadblocks, um, but just invite people into you, um, into your kingdom. And uh, Lord, if you, if we have experienced uh, rejection or trauma or roadblocks because of uh, other people, um, Lord, I just, I just pray over over that, just for healing and just a greater understanding that you you did not desire that. Um, so help us, help us to follow you, Jesus. Help us to live our lives in the, the beauty of the welcome of the kingdom and the availability of it. Um, and as we go into the rest of this teaching that you give, um, that, that, that would be the underpinning of that whole thing. Um, so we love you, Christ. Give you praise. And I just pray that we as a community would follow you fully. Amen.